0: Listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. I'm Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom McLean. I'm Tom Lang. And I'm Evie. And we've got Isaac in our headphones, fact-checking and signing us all up to podcast empathy training instead of just fucking firing us. (laughs) I've been trying this whole time, guys. (laughs) We also have a very special guest on the podcast this week. You might have heard his voice before if you're a not-good-enough lifer. It's James from the Tomorrow Movement. Hey, man. Oh, uh, how you doing, everybody? Hi, James. how good?
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jay. <James. laughs>
0: bringing the energy, <laughs> <today>. <laughs> <laughs> throwing us right oh, off our game. Oh no! So, what's what's been going on in the in your world and the Tomorrow Movement world?
2: Ah, oh, in my world right now, we've got the uh, the ALP has got their conference coming up this week, where they're going to set set their election platform. They were meant to do it last year, but some stuff happened. Um. <laughs> well, I've heard about that, actually, yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> so just uh, as a quick
0: thing then, just like this ALP conference, that is where they, they the, the entire party get together and they vote on things to vote on things to vote on things to set essentially their entire platform for the years ahead, yeah?
2: That's pretty much it. There was a, like... Um they, they normally do this in an election year. Um, they were hoping to do it much earlier so they could like set their platform and go to the election with it like all set. Um,
0: <laughs> no, no one in the Labor Party wants to fucking platform. <laughs> um,
2: and and yeah, so they've got the draft um, out. These things like the conference have, have for years just been kind of media events where there's very little actual conflict. Yeah. Um, most of the stuff is decided like typical ALP fashion in back rooms long before the conference actually happens. Yeah. Oh, that's um,
0: like it's just this is a big show. It's just
1: like they come out and it's just like, what
0: will we vote on this week? It's just like we fixed yeah. it. We know what it's right. all yeah, fixed. It's, it's yeah. less um, like
1: a conference like a, a you know, a big meeting of minds and more a conference like packs or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the branches
3: are all the branches are all pre-stacked. You just get to come and look at the branch sculpture.
1: <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Look Wicken what they've that. got in the pipeline this year. This looks really—it's oh, a more climate denial. Me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and
2: so, with the conference coming up, we um... putting
1: my coal cosplay <laughs> together. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh no! So, so yes, obviously on climate with the thing coming up, we they have got um their their the platform that they've got that they've got the draft that they're going to vote on um is uh, all kinds of confused and mm-hmm. um. Just very labor. You've got parts that are like, we think that climate change is really urgent. We acknowledge that. Also, we think that we should be building a shitload more gas because we think that's really important. Um and so it's it's it is that. It's and they try to give everybody everything. It's it's very typical of them and they wonder why they keep losing. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so they rec- yeah, it's just very them. They're like, they recognise that climate change is a real thing, but they also commit to do sweet FA about it. Um, mm. And so the Tomorrow Movement have a bit of a theory about why the, the Labour Party continues to be shit on climate change. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this will this will shock you. It has lo- has a lot to do with donations from fossil fuel industry.
1: Right? Ooh, what? No way.
3: But but they told us that the hundreds of thousands of dollars that they
2: receive that allows them to function it doesn't impact their decisions. <laughs> yeah, no, they're like, like we they're like we just don't know why the the coal industry would be giving us money. We think they just like us. We actually we never asked. <laughs> just a just an anonymous briefcase of money
3: signed your secret admirer. <laughs>
1: We just like the logo. It's a cool logo. It
0: makes it seem like what it actually is, which is a lot like how mafia's run. Where like the the mineral council and the fossil fuel industry don't actually have to tell labor what to do. Mm. They just look at them and they look at the money and then they just stare them down for a bit. And then the labor party's like, yes, sorry, yes, okay, yes, we'll do that. Yes, quite.
2: Yeah. Um, But we definitely think there's a little bit more to it. Like there's a little bit more to that dynamic, right? And so there's specifically, um, we think there um, there are some members of the Labor Party who are at this point um, have truly shown that they are not on our side um, and that they are, uh, I'm trying to say this in the least defamatory way possible. Um, but <laughs> I'll are, beep it are certainly some- their Just their speak into the
4: microphone just really slowly. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> their interests are definitely aligned with the fossil fuel industry in a way that you could... Perhaps mistake that they are working for the fossil fuel industry, allegedly. <laughs> would, would you
3: describe their their interests and values as anathema to human
2: existence?
3: <laughs>
2: you know, I would.
3: <laughs> um,
2: and one of those people who I think is I'm, I has to be a character in every podcast is Joel Fitzgibbon, mm. um, the member for <laughs> member for Hunter, um, which is. Um, uh, you know it's Newcastle it's a very traditionally working class area and it's and and coal has been uh the main industry in that area for a very long time um and joel fitzgibbon um has uses blue collar workers as props in his uh weird culture war to just maintain and protect the profits of his fossil fuel industry mm. uh donors.
1: I think you mean preserve the, the jobs and livelihoods of the of the good people <laughs> of Newcastle there, but yeah. <laughs> 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 Sorry, no, that's t- I even <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: <laughs> He would certainly say that. Um and and you know it's very effective. He's a very effective politician. Um he's he is able to um position himself in that way, um which you know, we need to see through. He he definitely works for the billionaires, not for the workers, and he's doing their bidding, not the workers' bidding. Um, but he goes into these conference. Um, we know that he spent the last uh, couple of years really undermining Labor's climate politics, um, and it's time for him to go. We actually think that the Labor Party there are meant there are good people supposedly in the Labor Party, um, <laughs> theoretically. And, <laughs> and it's I think it's you know it's time for them to show that they are. As good as they say they are, and they they need to stop providing cover for Joel Fitzgibbon, and they need to stop uh, <laughs> just stop protecting him, basically. Um, and it's time for them to uh, kick him out and actually start speaking out against him. And we think that the Labor Party should replace him in the Hunter with a uh, with someone who does represent workers and and not just
1: fossil yeah, fuel. Someone leader. who's on the side of human life. Mm, I I would like that.
4: The thing with Joel Fitzgibbon is that he's one of those remarkable politicians who i think embodies the stereotype of a, of a person usually a man who has the kind of connections that can solely in his own right sway people's policy and decisions purely by like corporate connections too uh, it's just so like the web that he has of influence is like shocking, like you know, even through his family, mm. um, through like you know his uh, all sorts of business connections, like you know, like there's a, like there's a lot to say about like his um uh, his influence in the fossil fuel industry. But there's it goes through many industries. It's quite like you know, and money has to come from all sorts of places, not just fossil fuels.
2: Totally, I think we should talk about a little bit of Joel Fitzgibbon's uh, history then, because I, I, I think we need him. to run through it. Let's run through it. Um. So one thing that I think going back <laughs> Sorry, it's just like
0: yeah, no, please do our podcast much better than we've ever done it. Please. Fuck it.
2: Yeah, Let's fucking go.
1: I'm still just trying to scramble up and like think of like fun jokes about Joel Fitzgibbon.
0: <laughs> Yeah. Off mic, we were talking about the wiggles and I was.
2: I'm just gonna I'm gonna let you do the heavy lifting of the jokes. Yeah. <laughs> so Joel Fitzgibbon, his brother, um, is the the head of the health insurance company NIB. Um and in 2009, Joel Fitzgibbon let his brother use his ministerial office. This is while Joel Fitzgibbon was the Minister of Defence. Um, mm. Let his brother use his office to lobby the Australian Defence Force for a uh, health insurance contract. Um, so that NIB could be the insurer for the Defence Force. Um, that seems like the kind of thing that shouldn't be allowed. It's very <laughs> not. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I just, and like, as as just a, a very quick thing,
0: when we talk on this podcast about how the Labor Party is actually the other part of the coalition with the Liberal Party, like the, Angus Taylor has done similar shit with other mm. members of the Liberal Party for his family as well. Like, I think the thing that we'll keep seeing as we go through Joel Fitzgibbon's history are like weird
1: parallels with how the liberal
0: party operate as well. Mm.
1: Funny that. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just it's not even weird parallels it's just like that's what australian politics is like. And they're just like it's a mirror
2: to the liberals as well. Like he operate like they're similar but they're they're different in weird ways and I think there's that thing like labor and the liberals a lot of people would say they're the same like you, that that that's a critique that's thrown at them and I think mm-hmm. that's not quite right. Like they they serve the same interests but they do it in very different ways. Yeah. Um and- <laughs>
0: It's like two it's like two different spokes getting to the center of the wheel, like, you know two yeah. different religions, but they both get you to God. Yeah.
2: <laughs> or in this case climate catastrophe.
1: Um, yeah that's how you get there. <laughs> but we call it
3: global warming, and they call it climate catastrophe. so we well,
2: we'll, we will we will get to Joel Fitzgibbons' mirror, I think in a second in the in the um, LnP. But um, so he's that same brother um, was also has long been arguing for the um, abolition of Medicare, um, mm. and he wants the uh, private health insurance industry to have access to my health record data cool. as well, cool, and cool, has cool. been lobbying for that. Um, so, his brother is...
1: Oh, my God. Of course. <laughs> yeah. you, you could have stopped it. He was the head of the health insurance private health insurance company. Really, that's all you yeah. <laughs> really need to know. <laughs> if any of our listeners aren't aware that all private health insurance is a full scam, uh, now you're up on top of that. <laughs> Welcome to <laughs> the oh,
2: podcast. Definitely do a whole episode on private health insurance oh. being a scam. <laughs> anyway, so, in, in 2013, he was a really key figure in the destabilization of Julia Gillard's leadership, um, he ended up uh supporting Kevin Rudd um in the like the first of i don't know 20 spills i can't remember there was so much there
4: <laughs> um
2: Kevin Rudd had a go and failed and then so and then so Fitzgibbon had to resign to the back bench after that and then uh, and then Kevin Rudd had another go and and won i think and and, and then I think Fitzgibbon got his job on the front bench for three months while Kevin Rudd lost an election.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, boy. It was a tumultuous time for the Labor Party yeah. and it made no difference to any single Australian. It yeah.
4: a- <laughs> also, love the mention of him like resigning to the backbench. Once again, we've talked about this so many times. Whenever, yeah. whenever resigning to the backbench appears in a media release um, by the government, it doesn't mean they're resigning. It just means no. they lost that particular portfolio and they're just, you know, they're still there. They still mm. have as, as much influence.
1: Yeah, they always say, oh, so-and-so resigned to the <laughs> <laughs> It
2: often just means I would like to pursue my agenda with slightly less scrutiny on me, thank you.
4: Yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> it,
2: it just means they swap from going Mr. Speaker to going
3: here, here. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, but that year, as well um, as while he was destabilising Julia Gillard's prime ministership, um, there was um, this is like we're going way back that they were they were going to pro- they were proposing a tax on superannuation for really high income earners and for like uh, really high uh, wealth individuals. Um, mm-hmm. And Fitzgibbon argued against raising the tax on superannuation for the very wealthy, saying that two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year isn't wealthy. <sighs> Well, because he's representing working people in Hunter Valley. You
3: know, coal miners, farmers, that kind of thing. Yeah.
4: Um, All (laughs) of whom are earning $250,000 a year, average.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's hanging out with fossil fuel lobbyists and his brother, the head of NIB.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They could spend that on
1: a dinner. $250,000 is just like a... It's it's barely a bottle of wine. That's like (laughs) a small bribe. (laughs)
4: $250,000 is you forget how much your groceries cost. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs>
2: um, and he, he's made this argument before. He, he He's returned to this idea that people who earn like $200,000 a year or more and have big mortgages, like they're not well off. Um, and this is very much his idea, I think, where, where working class has far more to do with cultural markers than it has to do hmm. with an actual material position. Um, and he, he's really effective at deploying this kind of rhetoric. So it's why a coal miner in the Hunter, earning $250,000 a year uh, is working class. But uh, Uber Eats Delivery driver in Melbourne, who's obviously doesn't have a real job at all, uh, is like inner city elite somehow. Mm. Um, Or like, you know, a barista in Melbourne. Like he loves to talk about these kinds of like um, culture markers uh, to kind of cover up the fact that he is on the side of Billionaires, you know, like Twiggy Forrest can like put on some like RMs and a hat and walk into a coal mine, and he's like, you know, he's a multi-billionaire, but you know, he's rugged, real, authentic, rinky dye Australian.
4: Never mind the fact that he owns R, R. M Williams. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <well.
2: laughs>
3: What's more Australian than that? <laughs> and then,
2: like someone, like you know, like like everyone on this podcast who just you know like happens to live in uh, the greatest city in in the world, and where the <laughs> We're the worst. We're the enemy.
1: I really love the idea that a barista is like, if if two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year is not wealthy, and you're like, oh, I wonder what the average year like annual salary of a barista is. Google's <laughs> going to be like, did you mean hourly rate? Like this. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: and he's not alone. Like this. Um, at the time when he made those comments, he was joined by uh, the former member for Batman, um, Martin Ferguson. Um, which is now Cooper, it's now Jed Carney's seat. Um, and he was saying that that Labor needs to stop engaging in this class warfare. Mm. Um, which, I mean, I just I thought that was the whole point of the Labor Party, mm. but.
3: Yeah, okay. yeah, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: really that's a really depressingly Fuck. prescient. Yeah, wow, <laughs> <laughs> when did the
3: Labour Party get so obsessed with workers? <laughs> I was
0: going to say something else, and that thought clouded my mind like a huge black fog, and everything just sort of went dead inside.
1: <laughs> yeah. Fuck, that is that is the point. And, and is that that's... why they spell it differently? Because they're like, oh, no, we're not about, like, labor-like working. We're the labor party. <laughs> 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 but
2: I think,
4: yeah, that's a... Uh,
0: the class war itself, as as a concept, is something deployed in the class war. And, like... Like you're saying, it's, it's cultural signifiers and this idea of the class war being bad because it's a war type of thing. So anyone that tries to invoke it is bad. And so then I can just describe whatever sort of class delineation I like. And if you critique that, well, that's class war and you're not allowed to do it. I think that's how mm. that sort of that's supposed to be playing off of each other, and so yeah, it's, I'm not doing mm. class war. I'm helping working class people. You, you keep you keep firing shots. Come on, man. I'm just trying to keep workers above board. Yeah, <laughs> he's such a duplicitous, slimy shit.
2: Sorry, anyway, James, continue. <laughs> no, and it was a similar thing that they Labour did after the 2019 election in their review, where they were t- saying that we need to in- embrace a more. Uh, inclusive language, uh, mm. and we can't be so divisive. And what they meant by that, and the examples they talked about, was using um, using things like attack, like b- b- pointing out that rich people are not on our side, <laughs> anything mm. like that. They're <laughs> like, we can't, we can't be divisive, and point out that there is a class division, and that the interests of one side are different to the other side. We have to be inclusive. The Labour Party welcomes all billionaires.
4: Yeah, I think,
3: <laughs> I, I don't want to label the point too much, but it is very important to point out that the class war is a defensive war. Yeah, uh, People yeah. often make it sound like the class war is people have decided to have a class war, but it's more like when a country is invaded and the locals in that country fight back, they're not choosing to engage in a war, they're defending themselves. And the class war is people who aren't billionaires defending themselves against billionaires
1: it's also the case of like you know why the the people who are fighting the class war which are you know our our baristas and stuff who are on you know let's be generous and say one fifth at most of the not wealthy two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year you know income the 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 idea that they could stop fighting the war like what does Mm. surrender in that sort of like the 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 situation look like Hmm. it's it's death they're not making enough money to get by that's the problem like (laughs) they're they're not even fighting a class war because they're like oh you know we, we believe in the nobility of the struggle of the of the working class like the struggle of the working class is the struggle to live
3: yeah Whereas if the other side of the class war surrender, they lose their third property. <laughs> yeah.
2: So jumping forward a little bit with, with Joel Fitzgibbons, so I think what's really interesting, I think thinking about like the role he's played in the last couple of years has been in, in like while Labor's in opposition, um, is is particularly where I think we start to see his influence on Labour politics sort of come out into the open and a little bit of masks off. Um so during the 2019 uh 2020 bushfire season he was uh meeting with matt canavan and the ceo of the world coal association which is just a global coal lobbying organization he posted that on twitter and it's just this like photo of the three of them together literally the country was on fire and he was having this meeting um and he posted it and obviously people got a bit mad Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) um and then he he started to I think that, we you know, deliberate. I think he deliberate. This is part of his strategy. He deliberately made a lot of people mad. So then he could say, the inner cities don't get it. They hate coal workers. And he got to write a bunch of op-eds about how everyone was attacking him and how that was very insensitive. He's like... Natural disasters aren't the time to throw blame at coal workers. I'm like, not blaming coal workers. It was, was like the you
1: were blaming <laughs> you, you little shit. So just,
2: just as a just as a quick thing, James, can you um
0: remind our listeners who uh, Joel Fitzgibbon from the Labor Party met with when you mentioned uh, Matt Canavan? Who's that?
2: So Matt Canavan is a uh, Liberal National Senator from Queensland. Um, who he's um I think he I believe he used to work for um. I mean, one of the big four consulting um, firms. I can't remember which one. They're all the same. Oh, of course. Um, he did. But his Twitter profile picture is him wearing high vis with what appears mm. to just be coal dust just smeared over his Smushed face, in his face,
4: just dirt on his face, like a real working yeah. class man. Like Jimmy Barnes is playing in the background.
2: Oh. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he just rec- loves to like and like similar to Joel is like they love to cosplay this kind of working class thing, and he's like, "You are a you're an accountant, man." You're in mm. a, I'm
0: looking at the photo now And he's got a little bit of coal on his forehead And his cheeks A little bit more on his nose And then a whole heap in his like up On his top lip And around his mouth Which is the exact spot where you would put a gas mask But it looks like he's been fucking munching on coal Like the cookie monster Like just the fucking dead shit idiot version Of cosplaying as a worker This is what you do. You go into the mine and you just eat your way out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's because, look, let's let's, – I think we're being a little unfair to to Matt Canavan here. Like, he's not trying to blend in with other coal workers. This is a photo taken at the KPMG's annual (laughs) Coal's Great Pantomime, right?
4: (laughs) He was playing the nugget. (laughs) Matt Canavan thinks, like, someone who is a coal miner is basically, like, the old-timey, like – Cocky <laughs> miner, Jimmy like, Sweet. wake up, wake up, nah! I've just been down <laughs> in the mines.
0: that kind of man goes to like goes to press conferences with a canary? Just like, oh, just got back <laughs> from the coal mine, gang, and I'm. I'm <laughs> <eating it> t-
3: <laughs> I mean, he's he's that scene in Zoolander.
2: <laughs> I was just gonna say, he actually now <laughs> that I <laughs> think about it, he kind of looks a bit like Ben Stiller in that movie.
1: Mm. Oh fuck! Oh, oh. yeah.
2: water (laughs) is the essence of
1: wetness (laughs) (laughs) coal is the
2: essence of energy (laughs) so and i think that i really think that this photo is so telling because the two of them are mirrors like i mentioned before of the different kinds of climate denial that exists in the liberal national party and the labor party we got matt Mm. canavan who's just like a a screaming weirdo um, who just eats coal for breakfast and then takes a <laughs> photo of himself um like straight up climate denial um real um know anyway, he loves to bait the bait lefties because he's you know he's yeah. not a lefty he's quite happy to say you know he's a he's a right winger and he's um out there just doing full-on climate denial mm. um and obviously in queensland adani has become the big thing for him he was really big on the like stop adani the the uh the kind of counter punch to the to the Stop Adani movement. He was out there really leading that campaign. Um, whereas Joel Fitzgibbon, you know, does. He's very careful about acknowledging that the climate crisis is real. He loves to point to 2050, net zero 2050 target, mm. um, and that Labor is the only party that supports it, and he does support it. Um, I think the 2050 target is something that the climate movement just broadly should just shut the fuck up about. It's so far into the future, it's totally meaningless, and you don't people shouldn't get a cookie yeah. for that. Um, and, and it's, and I think that Joel Fitzgibbon is a really good example for why that's meaningless. Like if Joel Fitzgibbon can come out and say that he supports it, um, when we see <laughs> yeah. everything else that he does, it means that that target is meaningless. I mean, yeah,
3: it's absolutely a target they've put there and they go, oh yeah, 2050, sure, whatever. They will get to 2050 and go, oh, I guess we didn't quite hit it. Um twenty one hundred
1: Barnaby Joyce who was like talking down the twenty fifty target because he yeah. was like it it's meaningless, none of us will even be in Senate like in, in, in government when that time yeah. rolls around anyway, yeah. so who gives a shit? We'll like, all be
3: dead, whatever
1: himself a climate denier, really just sort of like pulling the rug back on that one, being like, why are we voting on this thing? Everyone knows that it's meaningless. So let's just say climate change is fake. Let's just put that in the legislation. Who gives a shit?
2: Exactly. <laughs> whereas, whereas Joel Fitzgibbon is much more like, and he'll say it's like, it's it's real... Um, But then he does the other talking points, which they're they're old talking points um, as well from like that's existed in the Climate Denier playbook for for decades. But the, the, well, if it is happening, there's nothing we can do about it. Hmm. Um, Australia is such a tiny emitter. We're such a tiny country. We couldn't possibly make any difference whether we did it or not. His particular line was, yeah, his particular line is if we had a a carbon price, these bushfires would have still happened. Uh Um, Like that was the specific line that he went for, that one. Um, we can't also- fix the problems of the past, so why bother? <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like that thing of like trying to play like the reasonable edge of climate denial. So that's mm. how he, and that's and and so by having someone like Matt Canavan on one side and Joel Fitzgibbon on the other side, um, the the fossil fuel industry have really managed to, and that 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 lobby has really managed to frame the bounds of climate debate. We've got like reasonable climate denial on one side and just. Straight up, I eat coal for breakfast on the other. Mm. Yeah.
4: <laughs> that whole, um, Joel Fitzgibbon sort of the, that sly sort of, um, strategy towards saying that he sort of believes in climate change, but also if it is happening, like, you know, it's it, it, Australia doesn't really contribute to it that much. And if Australia is contributing that much, well, we can't help it in certain ways. It really reminds me of like this old, um, sort of thing about narcissists where like they always say that didn't happen. And if it mm. did, it wasn't that bad. And if it was bad, then that's not a big deal. Mm. And if it is, that's not my fault. And if it was my fault, I didn't mean it. And if I did do it, you deserved
1: it. Yeah.
4: Like wow, straight that's like up. Potter, right? Is that- yeah. <laughs> it, it's right? Yeah. It's such a sly way of avoiding responsibility, of always like changing that goalpost.
1: Mm.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of gaslighting, I guess. Yeah,
4: yeah. Totally. <laughs>
1: Natural <can't wait>. gaslighting. <laughs>
4: <Yeah>. <laughs> Good.
1: <laughs> Matt, Joel, Joel Fitzgibbon very much the, the sort of, um, you know, well, I've already got the lung cancer diagnosis and I've got chemo, you know, scheduled for 2050, so hand me a cigarette. What are you worried about? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think gaslighting is a really interesting one, though, like, way to put it, because it's like they... The Labor Party. I was watching this Chris Bowen event that um, we had some Tomorrow Movement members crash in Canberra this week. Um, that was pretty baller. Right. And but he's very good at like the Labor Party. Do they gaslight you saying it's like we take climate change very seriously? And it's this thing of like you go like you have to look at you go you you don't though. Mm. Like it is so plainly yeah. obvious that you don't take this seriously. But they just use this rhetoric to try and like make us feel bad. Um, I'm going to throw in a...
0: <laughs> Please get off my stage. I take climate change seriously. <laughs> yeah, he's, like, he's like, you guys seriously. aren't
2: helping. I'm on your side. I'm like, you, you so evidently
1: aren't. Like, <laughs> You can't just say that you're on our side and that it's true. <laughs> I, I think that Labor MPs really earnestly feel like they're taking climate change seriously because you know a, a majority of Australians support climate action. And that means that... While they're sorting out their platform, Labor MPs have to spend a lot of time in meetings talking about how they're going to get, you know, gas mining continuing and coal mining continuing mm. and, and coal plants <laughs> continuing to operate without losing a bunch of votes to the Greens. And they're like, that's a really fucking serious issue, guys. It's hard. It's <laughs> hard.
2: <laughs> uh, and so that, that was obviously after the last election as well. And he's been really emboldened by the results of the last federal election. Um, he immediately joined Craig Kelly's Friends of Coal group, which Craig Kelly is another um, pretty, of pretty, <laughs> pretty interesting Craig character. Craig
1: Kelly's Friends of Coal group. <laughs> that's, Jesus.
0: that's worse than a lot of the QAnon red pill shit you hear. Like starting a group called Friends of Coal and these people are like, they're full grown adults. Like they're yeah. over, they're over the age of six. <laughs> I'm not sure if they. I'm not
3: sure if they are. <laughs> but go on.
0: Yeah, when we talk about money, like rotting your brain, it just regresses you. You just go back to a point. I think I reckon like Bezos and whoever else, allegedly, like just shit their pants and enjoy it. It's just like yay, I just yeah. don't <laughs> care. You have no reason to care. You've got money out the wazoo. Doesn't matter. So yeah, Craig Kelly and Joel Fitzgibbon are at like
1: fifteen. Like, they've regressed back to just like, no, fuck you! Well, you, you just get into student politics and you surround yourself with student <laughs> politics people and that never stops and you never progress.
3: But it really goes to show how much the coal thing is a culture war because, because coal is an industry, it's a resource, but it's nothing more than that. And the fact that you can have a group called Friends of Coal, <laughs> like, you don't have Friends of Wheat Or Friends of Timber.
4: That's what you're saying. Or
3: Friends of Health Insurance, okay? Because those are all treated like just industries, businesses. Yeah, some of them are better or worse. You regulate them, you do whatever. They don't need friends. (laughs) Um, I will. uh,
0: Hang on, sorry, Lang. I'll just let you know that it looks like there is... uh, the Manitoba Court of Appeal Unanimously gives green light to Friends of the Canadian Wheat Board to pursue claims against the Government of Canada So Friends of the Canadian Wheat Board actually exist <laughs>
3: That's All right, not Friends take of it Wheat all though That's
1: Friends of the Canadian Wheat Board It's yeah. like we've got the Friends of Coal on one side And then it's not like we represent the enemies Of Coal, we represent the enemies Of Joel Fitzgibbon <laughs> I mean I'm the enemy of Coal <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It doesn't need enemy slang. it's just a rock I hate it
2: And I I think it is like it's just so it's just that culture war thing where they they love to talk about like coal jobs um, Mm -hmm. as that culture war totem, I guess. Where and so like, um, and and that creates it it wedges the climate movement, and it's a it's it's a very deliberate strategy of trying to make the climate movement by look like they don't care about people's jobs, they don't care about people's livelihoods. by creating this sort of straw man argument that we're against coal workers um which is just you know not at all true but i do think that the climate movement has um has fallen into the trap that's been laid for us Um. by these people in the past where we haven't adequately taken seriously the concerns and anxieties of not just the workers and like i do have to admit that there are times where i just i struggle to I, i struggle to bring up sympathy for a uh, a a coal mine worker who's you know been on $250,000 a year for 10 years, 15 years, 20, you know, really well-paid jobs. I I do have to sometimes struggle to like really mm. uh dredge up sympathy for for that character. But these communities, yeah. you know, that do rely on fossil fuel, we had a similar mm. thing in Victoria with like the Latrobe the Latrobe Valley when Hazelwood mm-hmm. closed. Um these towns, not just the people who work in these mines, but these towns do kind of don't have a lot of economic activity and these these mines bring a lot of that in um i grew up in in shepparton which is just in northern victoria and it's got like it's kind of a one industry town as well so spc um is there and when spc is doing well you have a good fruit season the town does well and if you have a bad fruit season um the town does not do well like it's a one industry town and you really do feel the like when coals doing well newcastle's doing well and and so he's really good at like narrowing the scope and saying that, like, coal is it. Coal is the only option for Newcastle. And if coal does well, New- Newcastle does well. If coal does bad, Newcastle does bad. And historically, that's been true. And so he manages to just not, you know, keep uh, keep it really narrow on that instead of, like, talking about what jobs for the future. And these people and the especially the children of the coal miners in these places, like, they... Yeah they deserve jobs for the yeah. long term you know like they yeah. they deserve longer term jobs which is why the the you know tomorrow movement have been fighting for a climate jobs guarantee because we think that you know not it's not just these these coal communities like we know that unemployment and underemployment are huge problems across the board in australia um and we just don't accept the idea that we can't have bold climate action um that you know we that we have to choose between climate action that takes the crisis seriously and job creation. We know that, in fact, those two things go absolutely hand in hand. Yeah. Um, and we think that a, a program of of creating jobs, doing that work, um, we're hoping can kind of neutralise some of this climate war bullshit that gets thrown at us by people like Joel Fitzgibbon.
1: Yeah, it's it's like you know, the, the, a lot of Australia's coal goes to export, and we see other countries starting to take the climate like crisis seriously and starting to, like, slow down and halt those imports of Australian coal, uh, not only that, just like the sort of global coal market generally, is on a decline because <laughs> if it's not, everybody dies and people are starting to sort of wake up to that fact. So, Joel Fitzgibbon saying, we need to stick to coal, we need to keep on that path, yeah. he's literally selling out the future of Newcastle. Like, he's, he's the one who's fucking them, Tell not what, defending people, them.
2: People in Newcastle will be very mad that you called it Newcastle, though. Um, That is actually something that does My my dad was born in Newcastle And um, I've spent quite a lot of time up there And and I've got family up there And they really, really do not like being called Newcastle That really points you out as a Victorian
1: uh, Mitch, uh, Newcastle. If you want to edit that back, yeah. Give us a couple line reads, just like
0: different, like surprised, angry, sad. Newcastle,
1: Newcastle, Look, Newcastle. A, cool, as awesome. part
3: of as part of the climate safe jobs guarantee, I think we can promise those workers that we will pronounce it Newcastle.
1: I, I think we would
3: have to. Um, I mean, we can't. We let's can't, let's can't not we, make we, promises. <laughs> we can't keep. <laughs> By, we
2: By twenty fifty,
3: we can all pronounce it. Newcastle. We'll
1: pronounce it Newcastle.
2: In fact, we're going to change it. will be Castle, Maine too. We're going to, we're not even, not only are we going
4: to- Castle, Maine. Print- but I'm also from New South Wales. So I say Newcastle like a normal person.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: we'll give them some of the other castles as well.
0: <laughs> I just think as well, like this, this whole line from Joel Fitzgibbon about like securing the jobs kind of strikes me as like when the moneyed interests were making money in a, you know, a good environment- and where they were making money off of progress, then they could they, there could be political leadership but what we 've seen now is that Capital is so tied up in fossil fuel and fossil fuel, the fossil fuel industry requires stagnation on that front. So we don't have politicians leading anymore. The whole point of politicians at certain points was supposed to be, I have a bold new vision for Australia or for my electorate or for whatever. And here we go. Trust me on this. I can deliver something to you. But now it's just like, no, nah, got to keep it the same. Don't change the thing. Got to keep it the same. No, nope, don't even worry about that. Not it. But, And that, especially for the Labour Party, That's a fucking failure because the world is going to catch up on us. So the longer Mm. they capitulate and the longer that they uh, drag their heels on trying to lead, the worse it's going to be when we actually have to make the change regardless of what politicians want to do.
1: I I think this is just maybe a a slightly cooked theory, but I'm I'm, I'm just putting it out there. I I think that the world at the moment and, you know, from now and into the future forever is very unstable and uncertain. Um, and that's really not going to change in our lifetimes. And when a population is scared, if you as a politician can promise stability, that is an attractive thing. And so the Labor Party is like, well, I guess we have to promise stability if we want to actually get through an election. And so they come up with a you know, a platform that's like, we'll pretend that there's no instability. We'll stick to the current course, which is burning fossil fuels. Uh, and then we'll get elected. And then we'll follow through on that promise. And, uh, whoops, uh, I, I, I don't think that sort of uh, ascribes enough cynicism to the Labor Party. It sort of puts them in a very earnest position. But I think that, that sort of pattern is there.
0: I think, I, I think that's there. The only thing I think is that you can offer stability or you can offer solutions to clear problems. And the problem with climate change is that it's unavoidable. And, yeah. that, and that's what I mean. So the longer they keep trying to push that, again, it's, fucking, it's Joel Fitzgibbon's playbook of selling out the future for the present.
2: D- yeah. like stabil- I mean, stability the thing, is like,
3: now means the, fuck the, all
1: the present is uncertain and so to offer stability is denial and and that's what we're seeing
3: um, I've, it's also important to point out that w- talking about coal mining jobs and making that the number one thing is uh, while it seems like you're appealing to coal workers I think it's another example of hog whistling because you're actually appealing to <laughs> coal companies coal <laughs> mining yeah. is not a major job provider in Australia. They reckon that uh, if you're pushing it, maybe 50,000 people in Australia work in coal mining. Around that number last time we checked, which is not a lot. 50,000 in all of Australia in coal mining. Whereas you compare that to universities and that's more like 150,000.
2: It's also Mm. about where those jobs are, um, which is is also quite interesting. And also the... um uh and and this plays into the culture war divide especially the city country culture war mm. um that exists i think in it's getting worse and i can't remember the exact numbers now but fossil fuel and like mining and extraction outside of the capital cities in regional australia are like a, the majority of economic activity particularly um po- you know with post industrialization as like we've seeing lots of manufacturing obviously mm. leave australia in the last 30 years um Without manufacturing, as agriculture has become much more um, mechanical and, and automated, mm. Um, mm. a lot of the, the work that exists outside of capital cities is, is often mining industry work. And- See, I actually, I'm, I'm not convinced by that either. Um, I'm pretty sure we looked it
3: up. Like, like, in some areas, it's quite a lot. But even in the mining areas, the coal industry still employs less people than healthcare or education. Oh, wow. Um because yeah, because mining is so automated and but it's about the I, gdp it's about
2: the wealth yeah. that they bring in terms into of those money, places yeah um, you're probably yeah. right and but i think it's all it, i think it goes deeper than that as well like it's 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 all symbol it's the same way hmm. that like you know like a bunch of public you know like i think when tony abbott was elected i can't remember the exact numbers now either but it was hundreds of thousands of public service servants lost their jobs hmm. um and that's you know, and that was barely seen as a bad thing. The you know, the, uh, the ABC is culling off mm. hundreds of staff every year as their budget gets cut, mm. um, continually cut, and and you know, there's you know, that's barely a a, a blip in the in the public mm. uh, understanding. But you know, like a Ford factory closes, um, everyone loses these, their mind. Yeah, and and I think that's because it's there's a certain sense of um, like I don't want to be too um, I guess. Oh, I don't want to dismiss that. I think that's a real feeling that people have. Like, people see mm. these things. There's a, there is a symbol in this of, like, of a, um, I don't know, the kind of, like, working class jobs that 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 a lot of people, particularly in regional areas, like, these were great economic opportunities that mm. um, existed in these places that, that are leaving. And, you know, we know, obviously, that people are moving to the cities, Melbourne and Sydney, you know, COVID, caught, I think, you know, a bit of a break in this, but... Um, you know, Sydney and Melbourne are growing rapidly because that's where like the knowledge economy is. That's where people are moving, um, and that's where these kinds of jobs are. And these smaller towns are really struggling. Yeah. And as as these kind of economic shifts happen, and so I think that we shouldn't, we should try to, You know, we should, as as the left should seek to understand that like people do have real feelings about these things closing because they represent kind of a I don't know. There's there's a mythology to that. That's kind true. Of, it like, is a way of life. Thing kind of thing yeah um especially you know in regional areas where like you know like there there, there aren't a bunch of like knowledge me- media jobs and the kinds mm. of things that ex- exist for people in in the cities um and i think that those kinds of industries are really really important to those areas and so i think that we have to when thinking about climate change as well like how do we the the geography matters as a lot like where do these jobs where are they going to exist how do we do it it's it's a look, it's a wicked problem, and if mm. your job mm. is to just delay it and make it <laughs> seem really scary, which is Joel Fitzgibbon's job, it's pretty easy. It's an easy yeah. job. So, <laughs> in um, 2020, um, again, like I said, he's been really emboldened by the, the last election result. Um, there was a group called the Otis Group, which started in Canberra, which I think Channel 10 first reported on. Um, the Otis Group is just, I think the Otis. Otis is just some fancy, ritzy it's restaurant just in the Canberra. the name
1: of the yeah, restaurant.
2: Um, and they all met, at, and um, Joel Fitzgibbon um, was a a key member of that group, um, included a number of other labour right figures, um, who were unhappy that Anthony Albanese was not sufficiently filleting coal, and they <laughs> really <laughs> wanted him to do that more. Need and to take s- some cues from Matt Cannon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so
2: they um, have uh, they they were lobbying internally for that. Um, not much is known about how that group works, but you have you can kind of get a sense that these are some right wing power brokers who were, really were, uh, using their muscle in the party to uh, protect the the interests of mining billionaires. Um, and then I think there was also a meeting, uh, or like there was a cocktail party with the the Otis group of members of that, um, that existed with like BHP and Chevron and Exxon and all of the. Um, you know good guys in the climate fight um, <laughs> and you can just see the way that like you know you piece these things together like this meeting with the World Coal Association including Matt Canavan um, and you've got the, the Otis group within the Labour Party and then you have the Friends of Coal with Craig Kelly and the Liberal Party and, and other members and you can start to see there's this real alignment that's starting to form um within the right of the labor party with elements of the liberal party that are just doing the doing the work of the fossil fuel industry um and using the culture wars and and really playing that to to do that work that on behalf of of fossil fuel billionaires um he has given a number of speeches to the conservative uh sydney institute um where he was i think both times introduced by jared henderson um <laughs> so you know and and real chummy love really henderson? Chummy interview. So Jared Henderson is a oh, where did, where did he come from? He's been like a right wing culture warrior, um, going back as long as I can remember. Um, I think he wrote for the Daily Telegraph for a while or the Australian Evie. Oh, so like a media figure. He's a media figure. Evie, where did where did Jared Henderson come from? <laughs> a primordial ooze somewhere. Gives a shit. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. He's one of the oozes. So oh.
4: man, this Have is Evie's. Evie. Um, let's remember let's <laughs> remember some guys segment again. <laughs> I haven't, I I haven't, I haven't done this in a while. So let's let's uh, step back into the time machine. So Jared Henderson, um, my earliest recollection of him is writing the Sydney Institute blog uh, in the voice of his dog called Nancy. That's not a joke, no. by the way. <laughs> Fuck, that's off. not a joke. That's oh, that was real, it, and it was called,
1: and it was called the Media Watch Dog. Yeah, he was the Media dog Watch Nancy. Dog.
4: <laughs>
1: I remember this. Now. I think if he was a lefty, I would find that cute.
4: Except it's Jared Henderson and full brainworms, but yeah, like it was basically his his conservative alternative to what he saw was the leftist bias of Media Watch, um, and had the media watchdog. Oh boy. <laughs> this is like in the in the full spirit and thrust of Blog Wars, which was like the like mid two thousands. It was a bad time on the internet. Like I mean, the internet continues to be bad, but like it was just a <laughs> specifically weird time on the internet, but that's my earliest sort of recollection. Right, of
2: I derogues. do remember that. He, he was like very, like, if you entered into correspondence with him, he would never stop. I yes. remember like he would, you would send him an email and he would reply and you go like, okay, and you replied and he would keep, he would never tire of it.
4: He, yeah. Just a constant <laughs> email poster. chain that went forever. Yeah, like it's posting, but through email. So you still get yeah. posters brain from it. <laughs> uh, so in case of so at the
2: brain. the Sydney Institute which as we we know is a very conservative institute from its association with brainworm jared henderson and <laughs> his dog nancy um so joel Fitzgibbon spoke at that a couple of times he also has been doing more and more regular appearances on sky news um with particularly with like peter credlin he's been on her show a couple of times um peter credlin being tony abbott's former chief of staff um, and now has a show on Sky News After Dark. Um, and he's been arguing that Labor needs to... The reason that Labor lost the last election is because that their 2030 emissions targets were too ambitious, which is just a, like a parallel universe <laughs> that I just can't possibly imagine. I can't really imagine how anyone could earnestly believe that the number <laughs> that Labor had attached to their 2030 emissions targets was somehow the reason that they lost. Like, I, I do this work... <laughs> Like basically full time I do climate activism work and I can't remember what their twenty thirty emissions target was, you know? Like it's just <laughs> no one no no one remembers. There's absolutely not the reason that they lost. But that's the story yeah. he's been told. James,
4: telling.
1: it's perfectly simple. If Labour adopted a platform that was more climate denialist than the Liberal Party the Murdoch media would have supported them over the Liberal Party and they would have won. <laughs> and that you can't see that, and Joel Fitzgibbon can, I think it is why he's such a savvy political operative. <laughs> and uh, will go to hell when he dies. <laughs> so after all that, he did actually
2: manage to get Labor to drop their 2030 emissions target, um, which was supported by um, LEAN, which is the Labor Environment Action Network. Um, so he's fully... Um, I'm going to say pretty much fully gaslit the the environmentalists that do exist within the Labor Party into supporting mm-hmm. his position. Um, and then last year, um, oh, sorry, earlier this year, the beginning of this year, sorry, he um, basically completely erased climate from the Labor platform. Like we mentioned at the start there, um, they mentioned that climate change is a real thing and then there is zero in how they're going to address it except for we're going to build more gas, which is the opposite of addressing it. Um
4: so the thing is with like um Joel Fitzgibbon it's not just gaslighting he is uh, sorry to use another metaphor here but like he's he's the white ant of the labor party like ev- like anyone who sort of like comes at like talking about Joel Fitzgibbon and saying oh i can't believe he's doing this no he's doing his job exactly how he intends mm. to do like the whole point of trying to get rid of him now is to make the labor party and their supporters aware this is what is happening to your party as a result of having someone like Joel Fitzgibbon there
2: do you mm. want mm. that to happen? One hundred percent. And we are now saying that you know he's he is not on the side. Labor part. The Labor Party does have a choice that they need to make um, about whether they want to be a party that supports you know good jobs and, and a safe climate for everybody, or do they want to be a party um, that harbors people like Joel Fitzgibbon? Um, they cannot represent young people, our futures. They cannot represent climate action. They cannot represent the kind of urgent, coordinated uh, response and the kind of governing, stable governing agenda that we need them to kind of implement while people like Joel Fitzgibbon are in the party. Like, it's just simply incompatible. And the people in the party who take climate change seriously, and we we have to believe that there are people within the Labor Party who do, who mm. earnestly believe that. And as long as they continue to allow Joel Fitzgibbon to be a part of that party, um, it will forever undermine the ability for them to implement the kinds of solutions that we need um yeah and so we so where so tomorrow movement is is calling on uh the people in the labor party who do take climate change seriously to kick joel fitzgibbon out of the party to isolate him within the party to censor him i'm look, i'm there are mechanisms within the party that i am sure exist to eject him whether that's pre-select someone else whether that's remove him from the party I'm not a member of the Labour Party and I won't be a member of the Labour Party as long as people <laughs> like Joel Fitzgibbon are in it. Like and that's the thing <laughs> and also. Like, if they want if they <laughs> Yeah. But, you know like we can't like I think that like if Labour wants to be a party that that welcomes young people and a new generation who do who you know we, we we do care about our future like obviously like it's a very mm. important issue. Um yeah. if Labour wants to be the party that if they want to be that broad church of of progressive forces of workers and and other progressives um they, they need to take responsibility for kicking the people out of the party who make it unwelcoming for people um who, who would otherwise be aligned with them. And we think the Labor Party is important as much as, you know, like we do have preferential voting in Australia and there are other ways to, to elect different people and different parties. Um, the Labor Party is the, is the political project of the union movement. Um, and we think that the union movement is obviously super important. We believe in organised workers. Tomorrow movement is very supportive of... Uh, of unions obviously um i I feel like i shouldn't have to say that but
1: yeah (laughs) Um, here we are (laughs) here we are
2: um and so never hurts to give a shout out to the union movement (laughs) and so if we want to you know if we want to bring unions into the climate action tent which we do um the labor party is kind of an important part of that so you've kind of got a choice we either you know we either have to change the labor party and get the people out of the labor party like joel fitzgibbon or we have to kind of remove the unions from the Labour Party and, and attach them to a different political project. And I frankly just don't see that happening yeah, in yeah. the time scale that we need to. So the Labour Party is important. Um, and, you know, we do take a real interest in, uh, in those internal mechanisms <laughs> and how they kind of align themselves. Um, so which is why we're going to be running this campaign, um, because we just think that people in the Labour Party who, who claim to be progressive, who offer cover for Joel Fitzgibbon, mm-hmm. um, are selling us out, yep. frankly. And they need to they need to pick a fucking side.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is how I feel. Like Jed Carney's my local MP, and she will say pro climate action things occasionally, but also toes the party line on on climate, and that sometimes means saying things like "gas is the future of the Australian economy," that sort of thing. That that came out that was a um, like six months ago or so. Hmm. That is is like I need. You know, you're my MP. Can you stand up for me, please? Like I if Joel Fitzgibbon came out and was like, I'm going to murder Tom McLean. And I was like, hey, Jed, can you, you know, criticize him for that? And she's like, well, you know, it's the labor platform that sometimes, you know, you do need to get murdered. So, you know, mm. I'm, like, well, I'm not going to fucking vote for you then, mate.
3: I may personally not believe in you getting murdered, but it's it's we're going to have to leave it to the party to work out the finer details there.
1: I think
0: that's a really interesting way of conceptualizing of where the Labor Party sit in the political landscape when it comes to climate change, is that they shouldn't be considered the one big alternative. It's mm. that you get change happening there, so then we can bring the unions across, and then the unions can pressure Labor, Labor can change change. Labor changing brings the unions on board, and you can use them as a smaller sort of part to effectively combat because because we're not just combating the Liberal Party; it is the fossil fuel industry who are paying into the Liberal Party and members of the Labor Party. So I like I like that a lot. Yeah,
2: yeah, and we we think about this a lot as like it's 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 about realigning the Labor Party. So at the moment, the Labor Party is yeah. aligned in the direction of of these um, of these interests of these billionaire interests, and we want to we think. Um, both strategically we think that it's a much a better, much better proposition for them to win um by rejecting those interests and becoming a, an, the obvious home for for you know working class insecure workers unemployed workers young people other progressives across the country we think that there is you know that the climate jobs guarantee is the kind of agenda that can bring multiple constituencies together and and to fight and to be a part of that broad labour church um or um you know they continue to kind of be aligned to the to the billionaires and and I think that's a losing position. Um, and we think we we you know we just need them. It's a, strategically or not. Um, yeah. Maybe maybe realignment. Maybe kicking these parts of the party out isn't a winning position. Position and maybe it is going to be hard. But frankly, it's like the the alternative is just is is also a loss. So I think we have to we have to try at this point. Um, the Labour Party will never be the party we need them to be while people like Joel Fitzgibbon are around. Yeah. Yeah. Bam.
0: That's a fucking soundbite
2: uh shout outs this week um, <laughs> i don't know if that was enthusiastic enough um, <laughs> uh, again again <laughs> too enthusiastic turn it down <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking shout outs this week. So, <laughs> tomorrow movement. Um, so, we're running this campaign. Um, we've got some content coming out. We've got a video. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, the petition will have been launched. Um, there'll be a video that's coming out as well. Um, we're wanting to put a lot of pressure on labor just around conference. The conference is being done virtually, so it's hard to do. Any kind of physical actions, we would we would love to, but that's just gonna be a bit too difficult. But people at home can support this campaign. There'll be a petition on the Tomorrow Movement website. Um and I'll I'll share a link in the show notes. Uh we're gonna have um we'd love the, the video to be shared around and get as much traction. And if you live in a in a s in a seat that's got a Labour member, um, if they have a Twitter account or any other way of contacting them, um I would suggest getting in touch with them and asking them where they stand on Joel Fitzgibbon and um, (laughs) uh, just starting to put some pressure on them that way and uh, we will continue to to, just to see. We think that this is a really good way to test which side um, different members of the Labour Party are are on and we should do that.
1: Yeah. Nice. Jed Carney, you'll be hearing from me. (laughs) Don't murder me, Jed Carney. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sick of it.
3: I think we need to peer pressure Joel Fitzgibbon out. I think when he comes in... He should have nowhere to sit in the Labor cafeteria. Yeah, Everybody should be like, call boy, Cole
2: boy. <laughs> He'll just be sitting over there with his big pile of money on his own.
1: We're your peers, Joel Fitzgibbon. We're on less than $250,000 a year each mm-hmm. as well.
4: <laughs> I'd just love to make Labor, his, his fellow Labor ministers, just embarrassed to be around him. I feel yeah. like shame is a really powerful driving and modulating force and, like, yeah. making people... Embarrassed Mm. to be, you know, pushed by a man like Joel Fitzgibbon is a really powerful thing.
3: Make him go (laughs) sit with his weird little mate Matt Canavan there with coal on his face.
0: Just the idea of like yeah you, you see Joel Fitzgibbon out at a cafe and you're like ooh Fitzgibbon yuck he's another one's cold. but then if you see any other labor members it's like ew you're in that party that gets pushed around by that loser Fitzgibbon
1: yuck. yeah, yeah. <laughs> ew that's such a, i've got to figure out which cafes Jed County can go to so i can get a table next to her and then ask to be moved <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah. Just within earshots, you don't even say something like directly to her necessarily, yeah. but just be like, Oh yeah. God, I really don't want to sit next to her because she associates with Joel Fitzgibbons. Yeah, just
1: there's something that smells like coal over here. Is it, is it, is,
0: can anyone else smell coal? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sitting down back to back with Jed Kearney and just very much like, Oh, can you believe the Labour Party? Bunch <laughs> of woozy sooks. Being bossed around... But, oh, I'd hate to be in the labour...
1: <laughs> a single tear down Jed Kearney's <laughs> Certainly wouldn't show my face in a local cafe. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry I didn't
2: see you there. So, but for real, great campaign strategy because these people are, like, particularly mm. Jed Kearney, I think, uh, in particular, like, she's an p- interesting example. Like, definitely, you know, her seat is, is under threat from the Greens um, and she definitely loves to to use her kind of progressive mm. image and the idea of her as being good on climate change, uh, good on supporting, like, so, you know, fixing Australia's immigration system. Like she, she trades on, on this as her identity. Um, but the reality is that she's in a party with Joel Fitzgibbon. She shows more material solidarity to Joel Fitzgibbon than she does the climate movement or young people. And so I think that she needs to, that needs to point it out.
1: That's what, mm-hmm. fa- I, I mm. don't want to go on too much of a Jed Carney tangent, but that's what, <laughs> fucking gets me about her is like she could j- she's l- liked enough. She won the 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 election in 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 in, in uh, Cooper. Like go independent if you are if you're real.
3: But here's the thing: yeah. there's more risk to her personal career by
2: doing that. Yep, if she's not willing to take a risk to her career to stand up for the climate. Um, I think Cooper deserves a better MP. Yeah. So I think yeah. that she should be pushed on that. I think this is true of a lot of, um, I mean, of all of the people in the Labor Party who who are on the left, who claim to mm. be progressive. This goes for Plibersek. This goes for Terry Butler. Um, and, you know, like these, these like if they're going to show, and like I really do mean this, like they show far more solidarity to Joel Fitzgibbon than they do to young people and the yes. climate movement. Mm. And yes. that needs to be pointed out. And that they need to feel some pressure and shame. Because what we're doing here is we are demanding that they pick a side. They cannot sit on the fence forever.
3: I think yeah. we, we say a lot that, like, all, of the lab- all the Liberal politicians need to be, you know, in jail or in hell or things like that. And they will
1: In jail, in hell.
3: <laughs> yeah. All the <laughs> Labor politicians just need to be bullied a lot more than they currently are. <laughs> just mm. laughed at in public. It's like the idea of
0: progressive Labour members. It's like the prettiest hairless cat. It's like well, whatever. <laughs>
1: Look, hey. Those hairless
3: cats are nice.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Labour party <laughs> unfair, malignment to uh, hairless. Hairless cats are cool. <laughs> Shut up.
0: Uh, let's go out on that whimper. <laughs> <laughs> Leave the hairless cats the alone.
4: <laughs>
2: Thanks again for listening to Not Good Enough. You can get in touch with us on all the socials at notgoodpod or email us at notgoodpod at protonmail.com. Not Good Enough is recorded on the lands of the Rwandri people. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded.